I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Corey. He has CVID. Let's talk about it. This would be uh, this would be fun. You know what's really interesting, guys, is that so we just finished recording like I don't know less than an hour ago, um, and we were talking about a a like an immunodeficiency based disease, um, and I think that it must be just the theme for the fucking day because we we're talking to Corey about common variable immunodeficiency disorder or CVID. That must be really confusing over the past year and a half. I was going to say. Yes. Yeah. They're like, yeah, I got CVID. They're like, like, I think you mean COVID. (laughs) Uh, What, uh, Corey, first of all, hello. Thanks for for joining us all the way from Utah. Great to talk Um, to you guys. Uh, what the fuck is CVID or is is it, is it called CVID or is it called CVID or? Usually they just call it CVID. Got you. Just don't put the O in there and, and it's, it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do, so do people ever say it like COVID? COVID. COVID. I'm going to start saying it like that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Good idea. Just confuse the fuck out of people. <laughs> it's basically my my immune system just is really shitty. And um, it, yeah, it just makes me more vulnerable to viruses and bacteria and getting oh. sick. So yeah, yeah with. This- what an awful thing to have right now. You it this really is the worst is time like, ever for you. Yeah. Hashtag anxiety with, with all the COVID stuff going on. So. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Shit. What's the I mean, not to like not to do this t- too much, uh, but but what is the what's the COVID scene like in, in Utah? Um it's we're struggling. It's mm. our numbers are climbing and um yeah, I'm I'm a little nervous. Like I, I thought we were out of the woods and and now it it seems like it's going back up again and then school's yeah. starting up again soon. So I don't know. I'm a little right. nervous. Right. So, um, is this, how old are you, Corey? I am 43. And is this something you were born with or like, or is this something you, you kind of came across later on in life? I, I came across it later in life a couple of years ago. Just, um, that's, that's when I found out it was it, it a couple of years it was interesting the way that you asked that question, Jerry was kind of like, Oh, did you just discover it and just, decide that that would be a fun thing to acquire? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, did you, did you just have a library this identity recently? <laughs> this one's for me. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is relatively new for you just the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. How, how does one go about getting diagnosed with the uh, CVID? Okay. So I, I kind of had this for, for a long time. I felt like I had been eating nothing, but, Taco Bell burritos for every meal. If if you 
get what I'm saying here. Like my, my uh, stomach felt horrible uh, all the yeah, time. Right. So you're blowing out your asshole yeah. on a regular Pretty basis. <laughs> I was, I was, I was going to be like, that's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> you're eating way too much Taco Bell, man. <laughs> yeah, you're eating diarrhea. What do you think's going to happen? <laughs> I do still like Taco Bell though. So. Yeah. So I, I went into my doctor and just said like, my stomach is constantly horrible. It's been going on for a long time. And, so he drew a bunch of labs and um, I went back for him to go over the labs and, and he started the conversation with, I'm sorry to tell you this, but, and that's, that's really the worst way to start a conversation. Like whatever comes after that is not going to be great. So yeah. Were you, were you like, were, were like in your mind in that moment? I feel like, I feel like the default, the default thought in that moment is like, I got fucking cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. right, right. Yeah, that was, yeah. Any any time a doctor starts the conversation with that, it that's that's where my brain went. So yeah. I guess yeah, I'm thankful it wasn't that. Do you think they do it like that because they know that every, especially if the doctor knows it's not can obviously the doctor knows it's not cancer. They know what it is because they're about to tell you. The, so they started out and they're like, "I'm so sorry," and you're like, "I got cancer," and they're like, "Nope." Way yeah. better than that, and then and then you're like, you think that that's huh. a tactic? Uh, like a, that's, that's like saying... a mind tactic where they're like, because if I start it, they'll yeah, think I think that. they teach that in med school. They're <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. they're like, set them up for a real big shit sandwich, and then yeah. and then serve them up with a, a nice taco. Perhaps bell even burrito. Perhaps <laughs> even add in. I'm sorry to tell you that this could be almost the worst thing. They that really, I'm about to say. Like they really amp it up. But you have this thing. Yes. Actually, you know, come to think of it, that's probably only middle of the road. I mean, I yeah. know that I know that this is a weird, this is kind of a weird question to ask so early in our conversation, but like knowing that you that, that was where the mind goes when he gives this, when he starts out the, the conversation, was it a relief like was it a relief for you when they said this is what this this is what we think it is? Or 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 did they know? Like was it a definitive thing right there in the doctor's office? Um it was pretty definitive. He sent me to an immunologist afterward just to like confirm and run some more tests, but he said that's this is pretty much what it is. It it actually was not a comfort because my son who was like I think 16 at the time, he already had this CVID and was doing infusions. And I knew what uh, I was in for because I am a gigantic baby when it comes to needles. I, I pass out all the time. I, I'm a sissy. So I see that he's having to do these infusions where he's sticking himself with three needles every week for the rest of his life. And so when the doctor said, I'm sorry, I, I think this is what it is. It's like, oh. Are you sure it's not cancer? Are you sure it's not cancer? Maybe he knew. Maybe you're like, hey, yeah, yeah, so, can you just check again? <laughs> I, I, I really like. That's why he he actually had on Corey's health record. It was like, is a massive baby when it comes to getting needles. Yeah. And he was like, I'm sorry to tell you. I'm sorry this to tell is you. literally yeah, the worst thing that you could right, have. Far worse right. than cancer. You're gonna have to you. stick yourself yeah. three times a day. It's yeah. gonna fucking suck. So, yeah. so you're you're. It does. Is this the kind of thing that runs in the family? Like, you, like your son. When did your son figure out, or when did you guys figure out that your son had it? He he was a few years earlier than me, and he was totally different. So the the most common thing is that people get um, like pneumonia and bronchitis and like breathing stuff all the time, catching the cold all the time. That is him. He he's like the textbook, and so I 
I didn't really think that 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 I had the same thing because the GI stuff is common, but not nearly as common as like the airway stuff. So mm. I was kind of surprised. So I've heard there is some kind of um, connection with family stuff. And then I've heard it. There's not like I asked my doctor and he said um, he has one other um, group of people who are related, but otherwise it's just, yeah, to- totally pretty, pretty rare. Thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Hey, so you, you, you find out that you have it. You roll your eyes really hardly, or hardly, uh, really hard because you, you now know what you're in for seeing your, as your son is, has been going through this for a little bit. What, uh, can you run us through like, you know, how immediate do you get kind of thrown into the treatment of all of this? And, and what do the, what do the treatments actually look like on a, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Pretty soon after, after I saw the immunologist, they said, okay, you have to start these infusions and you can do it once a month at an infusion center. And, and that's an IV. And so you're there for a while and um, but it's kind of like a hardcore dose once a month, or you can do it once a week, sub Q, like smaller needles, doesn't go in the blood. Um, and you just stick yourself. And, and so I, I just, because I'm such a, I mean, I'm a huge baby, but, um, the sub Q, like the smaller needles, not going in blood seemed a little more, I don't know. Up like the alley. lesser of the evils. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided to do that. And I've heard that the treatments, like the people who do it one time a month, they just feel horrible for a few days afterward. And because you're, you're basically cramming everything into one day yeah. versus spreading it out over the month. So um, the treatments are basically, I have this immunoglobulin stuff. It's kind of like, um, like um, rubber cement, kind of like, thick, just gross. And I have to get this big syringe full of it and then stick the stick three needles in. Um, and I kind of rotate. So sometimes they go in my stomach, sometimes in my legs, sometimes in my back, and then just rotate each week. And so the infusions take about an hour and 15 minutes. And it kind of feels like battery acid Oh God. going into I mean each needle. it's one thing like it's one thing to think about getting a shot of a syringe full of a I guess like semi liquid semi solid like that sounds awful like I, I I've never I I don't think I I don't think I can imagine anything that gets injected into someone that's like like almost like gooey play-doh yeah um so first of all, didn't know that was a fucking thing. That sounds awful. But then to add on top of it, the like burning battery acid sensation, like that really does sound, I don't, you know, I, it doesn't sound like you're a wussy. It just sounds like you have to do something truly awful. Jerry, yeah. you're just sympath, you're just sympathizing because you are that way about needles. As I well. am that way about needles. But if, if it was a needle that was full of fucking rubber cement, Dude, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that. Uh, that yeah. sounds awful. Like, is it, how thick is this needle? Like, how, like, is it a really big gauge needle? Like, no, get- they're, they're pretty small. They're like, yeah, they're, they're not too bad. But, um, oh Sub Q needles are like, they're but, about this big. But yeah, listen, yeah. listen, listen, let's, let's not pretend like anybody. Okay. So there's, there's sort of two camps that you can be in. Either one is you just don't like 
having something poked into you because it's I don't mind some needles. I, I can take those any day. That's the not second, a problem to me. The second but, camp but of people the thick, is people who the thick gooey weirdly, stuff. That's fucked. The second camp is the people who weirdly, weirdly, in quotes, because I'm not king shaming. <laughs> the second group well, where are we going? of people are people who just like sticking themselves with needles because it kind of makes them feel good. I mean, there's definitely a community out there. Because either you, it doesn't feel good, therefore you don't like it, or it feels good, which is, I don't want to say weird, you guys, but is unique to a small group of people who probably get off on it. I'm just saying. Okay. I'm All just right. saying. Yeah. That was yeah. such an interesting place to go with that. It was. I didn't really... <laughs> I didn't expect you to go there with that. Um, <laughs> kind of try to be, I want to be like, almost like, look at me, I'm badass. Like, it's no big deal to stick myself with the needles, try, like try to yeah. psych myself out. Like, it's cool. It's no big deal. But really, in my mind, I'm like, Ugh. I guess yeah, that's right. the third group. But I a guess way, that's a third but group. A way, but, but probably, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost, I mean, I guess you give people an option, but I, I, I mean, especially from my perspective, way better to do that than, I mean, going to get an IV, you got to go somewhere. It's a big thing. Yeah. I mean, like you said, then the side effects of feeling shitty for a day, but like just the, just the process of going to do it. You got to go somewhere. You got to sit down for a long time. Yeah, yeah. You got to get hooked up to an IV needle, which is way, I mean, I've had lots of needles in my day, but I've only had. One or two IVs, and IVs fucking suck. Yeah, they suck. Yeah. yeah, they really do. So when you when you do these shots of this liquid cement that burns like battery acid, aside from that sucking, what how like how does it make you feel? Like what what is the what are the side effects of the of the actual like once it's in you? Yeah, uh, it's it's like this pocket of like fluid my wife says they kind of look like chicken nuggets under my skin oh my fucking god uh, so <laughs> dude this man you're making this is just getting worse that's what worse. chicken nuggets are made of i think <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> probably yeah that's right holy <laughs> shit so, so those kind of stick around for a few days and the thing that kind of sucks with that is i'm a pretty active like i i run quite a bit i run ultra marathons and so this when you've got these pockets of that's quite a bit of running. Like it's funny that you yeah, yeah, <laughs> under the skin. It's just slipping that in there. It's, it's really funny that, that you said it that way because you you ran 500k <laughs> through Tennessee in 10 days with no crew. Like you run a little. <laughs> it, you run just a little bit. Well, just a little bit. Just a little bit of ultra marathons. Yeah. But it's That's hard. Amazing. Like that, those those pockets of fluid. They they. It's kind of like they bounce around and and just. Oh, hurt. Lord. So oh, Lord. sometimes it, it gives it give me bruises and stuff. But I mean, uh, one part of me is like, I'm thankful. It, it definitely could be worse. I work, I, I'm a social worker in a dialysis center. So I see people coming in every other day doing dialysis. That really sucks. Yeah, so yeah. on one hand, I, I, I'm really thankful. Like it definitely could be worse. But then I also, I don't know. It sucks. Yeah. On the on the on the uh, topic of of running, and especially when you're doing when you're doing um, when you're doing long hours, like long endurance stuff. I ride long distance. I I I, I bike like long distances and mm. put in a lot of kilometers. And 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 I know that in times where I have put in a lot of hours, <clears throat> a lot of days in a row, or a lot of weeks and a lot of months in a row. I mean, I the immune system in the in the in the healthiest immune system gets takes a toll 
it, or that, that sort of activity takes a toll on your immune system. And, you know, you open yourself up to a bunch of illness and, and sickness just from the activity that you do if you're doing endurance stuff. So like, how does, I mean, you're already that you're already predisposed to, you know, getting sick and everything with your, with CVID. How do you, how does that, how does your running play into that? And how do you manage that much stress on your body and your immune system from a, from like an exercise standpoint in conjunction with this, with this thing you've, you've now got to manage. Yeah. I, I, that is a concern. And, and since, since getting this diagnosis, I, I haven't been able to do, um, as what, as much as I used to do, I would, I mean, I, I used to do a lot of races and a lot of runs. Now I just, I don't know. It's like, like you said, like your immune system takes a hit already. Mm. And then I just feel kind of tired and run down all the time. So I think I just try to take care of myself the best I can. And it, it's a shift because I've always been like, go, 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 push, push. And now I'm having to learn like, oh, okay. It, I got to slow down a little. I got to take care of myself. And that's an adjustment. I'm, I'm not great at that. I'm, I'm in the process of learning. Yeah, like mm. I'm, I'm trying to, cause I'm, I'm not going through, the, I'm not going through the same thing you are, but I'm, I'm doing less right now than I have been, but even the less that I'm doing now is like thirty percent more than I was doing last year, mm. but, but, but just because it's less, I like, I'm feeling, like I feel, I have moments of feeling less than, like I need to be doing more, I should be doing more, but I'm not because I've got these other things going on or whatever the fuck, like, how do you, how does your how do you how do you handle that side of things when you know you you were doing more running and obviously I mean when you're doing like what you're doing it's it's fueled by passion yeah so how how do you manage like the the necessity to do less I can only imagine that that is really tough mentally it is yeah I, I mean I've always been like happy optimistic positive I'm a social worker like I know depression stuff. I, and yet, like you said, this, this has been a passion for me. And, and so to, it, like, it's almost like that was the old me and the new me is not that person. Like I can't, I can't do what I used to do. And so it, it kind of threw me into depression for a while. Like, I don't, I don't want to be the new me. I, I'd rather be the old me. I don't, I don't want to be limited and um, held back on these things that I love to do. So it's been, it's been a process. I think I'm so much farther along now. Like I, I, I realize um, really it, it, you do just do the best you can do, but there, there are those times where it's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. kind of sucks. I I wish I could go back. I know what you guys are are saying too. Um, I was having this conversation a couple of days ago with a friend of mine. I went for a run with him and, and a couple of years ago I got into CrossFit and I was really into it for like, uh, like seven or eight months. And I was, I got to the point after like being really dedicated for eight months, I was eating the best I've ever eaten. I was sleeping the best I've ever slept. I was working out harder than I've ever worked out. And I felt like I was the fittest, strongest version of myself. And it felt really, 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 really good. And I went for a run with my friend a couple nights ago, and he was like, hey, you're looking pretty slim. You're looking pretty trim. Like, you've been running a lot? And I was like, no, I 
actually just haven't been eating that much and I haven't been doing that much. And I was thinking about like how sort of shitty that made me feel for a second. And then I was thinking like, I wish I could get back into that. I wish I could, you know, get motivated to go to the gym again every day or twice a day. And I wish I could eat better. But then I thought about it for a second and I would like to do that. Like I would like to build some better habits and have a better routine. But instead of wishing I was like me before, I'm actually proud that I ever made it to that point. And not just based on how I I looked or how strong I was at the time, but how dedicated I was to a routine that made me feel good. And so instead of feeling bad that I'm not that or I'm less than that now, I don't actually think of that. I'm actually just proud and and sort of inspired by myself that I was able to be committed to a routine like that. And knowing that that sort of, that version of me two years ago is still, it's still me. It was still mm-hmm. me. It was, it was me then, it's me now. I just have different habits. And I can go back to, if I choose to, I can go back to, you know, starting to do more of those things that made me feel good. And I think that a couple of days ago was sort of this reminder that I need to be better. I need to take care of myself better, primarily for my mental health. So I booked a, another session with my therapist who I'm talking to tonight. Nice. And I bought a new pair of running shoes nice. because I find that new things always uh, help inspire me to get back outside. Before, I said that. So. Yeah, I said that the other day. I was yeah. like, <clears throat> I'm in yeah. a bike. I was I'm in a biking fun funk. And Brian goes, you need to buy something. actually it works it works like that hey if anybody's listening to this podcast right now and they need a bit of motivation just slippity slide onto like amazon or like your local suppliers uh, website go support jeffrey bezos (laughs) he needs he needs needs, needs, he's he's doing another trip to space he needs a little bit Uh, more coin just go and buy something that's going to make you feel good to get back outside if that's possible well you you know what you could buy actually uh uh i mean just since you said that, Brian, you could buy uh, Stronger Than the Dark, which is actually, Corey, your book. Uh, <laughs> perfect. Uh, perfect wow, thing that you yeah. could purchase. See, I uh, knew that was coming up. So. Uh, why don't you, Corey, why don't you tell us about the book? I, and I'm really interested interested to know um, about, like, did C, CVID play a role in, in the book at all? Or was this something that was coming beforehand um, and you just happen to, you know, st- again, stumble into this CVID as you yeah. did. Um, like, are, are, are the two things completely connected? Initially, so I had written a few books before this. And, and for this one, I had planned to write about this Volstate 500K, which is this 314-mile race across Tennessee. So that was, that was kind of the idea going into it. And then... A couple things happened. I I got diagnosed with this weird diagnosis, and then I also um, went through this process of leaving the Mormon Church that I had been raised in my whole life. So those two things mm. um, set off this depression that I had not experienced before. And so the book like shifted and morphed into like the the race became kind of like what what can I learn from this to get me into a better mind space. So the book is, I mean, it is kind of, it is about the race and some of the crazy stuff that happened there, but it's also about like um, how I found myself feeling this depression and some of the steps that I took to get out of that. And some of the, some of the lessons from this race that I was able to implement. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a, 
all, all of those things. Mm. It's, it sounds really incredible. I was actually talking to Taylor about this the other day. I, I um, like have this sort of fascination with long distance running um, and hearing about running 500K, that's fucking crazy. It's that's totally insane. bonkers. Yeah. But I, I imagine that like anything that I've done long distance wise, I find that you just get into this super meditative state where like there, there's almost this like, for me, there's this like sense of clarity that I find in like in in understanding myself, and I wonder for you, like, was that a large inspiration behind the writing that that has sort of like it, do you, I guess do you experience that med- meditative state where you sort of become um, more connected with who you truly are when you're running? Yeah, for sure, and especially with a race like this where. I mean, you have 10 days to finish this and what a rare, crazy opportunity to just disconnect from life for 10 mm-hmm. days, like no mm-hmm. obligations, mm-hmm. no stuff from work, no, like, I got to go pay the bills, no yard work, no family stuff aside from occasional phone calls. Like it is just hyper-focused on just basically surviving and and yourself and I fucking love that. Yeah. It's so cool. It was it was such a such a, a amazing experience. It is, how, it, how, go ahead. I was just it is it is so like when you said something there where you, I can't remember exactly what you said now. It kind of just flew, it just flew away from me. but you said something along the lines of like, you know, it um where you have no obligations. That's what you said. Mm-hmm, you had no mm-hmm. obligations. And and I feel like most people, I mean, if you're not, if you're not doing, if you're not doing like intense exercise, like on a regular basis, saying no obligation when you're doing a, you have no obligations when you're running a 500k race probably sounds like total insanity. Cause like you've got this one massive obligation, which is to run Stay the alive. 500 yeah. Yeah, which is <laughs> to There's do that. that. But there is something so, it's so simple. It's like, I got to get there. And that's it. And everything else falls away. And you and it can be a real eye opener as to like how hard life is, like how 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 stressful life can be. All the responsibilities that we have, all the obligate, all the the multitude of obligations that we have, let alone every day, maybe even every hour of every day. Especially if you if you've got a family, <laughs> you got kids. I mean, like there's so much. And then when you reduce your life for this short period of time to, I just have to go get from where I am to that line. You know what's crazy though is that is that we have micro moments like that every mm. day but we don't think of them because they don't last long enough. Like I think of it as I, I have two that happen to me every day. One, if I'm taking a shit, if I'm if I'm pooping, I'm not answering like I might be scrolling Instagram. I'm not going to lie. Like I might be on my phone looking, but I don't feel any obligation to answer the phone or reply to <clears> messages <throat> or do anything like that while I'm while I'm pooping. I'm pooping. We all poop. <laughs> like we all have our time to poop. This has become Leave a justification for pooping. Leave me alone. The other time is driving a car. If I'm driving, nobody expects you. If you if you ignore a call for an hour and call somebody back after an hour and say, "Sorry, I was driving," nobody will be mad at you about that. Yeah, that's right. And if they are, they're they're <laughs> stupid. But like the cool thing about running, you know, 500k over 10 days is that it is like one of those moments. It's just 10 days of that. Which mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's kind of like I imagine it to be, and coming back to like a, a an analogy of of <clears throat> meditating. Like if you sit down quietly for five or ten minutes and meditate, that can be a pretty powerful experience to do 
you know, a couple times a day, once a day. But if you were to like go to a Vipassana and do 10 days of like pure silence and just like be with yourself, you would you could potentially have like a, a like a life altering. Yeah. I mean, that's what yeah, that's what people are is, really looking for when they which go is, and do that. But like it is this great reminder that it, that like those moments that we take for ourselves are so yeah. important to simplify life down to this one clear objective. Well, it looks like we just crossed 5 million podcasts in the world, so it is with some humility that I introduce mine, Kelly Corrigan Wonders. Once a week, we share heart-to-hearts with smart, good people like Brian Stevenson, Anna Quinlan, Father Greg Boyle, talking about how we treat each other, how we treat ourselves, and how we might do both better. Kelly Corrigan Wonders is a podcast for people who like to laugh while they think and aren't afraid of feelings. Join us for Kelly Corrigan Wonders. How did CVID affect your ability to run? Like, like I mean, it's one thing to run a marathon, but to, to run 500K in 10 days, like that, that is, that's a crazy feat, even if you're a completely healthy and like, you know, just like peak fitness individual. So you have this, you have this illness where you work obviously is affecting you on a day-to-day basis. How, how did it, how did it affect your ability to partake in this race? I think <gasps> there were a few things. Um, so my doctor gave me a pass to not do the infusion that week I was there. So I, thankfully I didn't have to hassle with that, but I think the the main side effect that I have from the infusions and from the CVID is just utter exhaustion all yeah. the time. And so when I mean, when you're out doing an ultra marathon, you're you're feeling utter exhaustion all the time, and so combining those two things, I mean, it was a lot of sleepwalking. And luckily, right. I was with a couple friends who we just were like huge supports for each other. And um, I don't know, just the fact, just keeping me awake sometimes mm-hmm. that was that was the biggest struggle that I had. And then also the training leading up to it, like normally I would have um, tried to be in better shape and train more, but I just, you just can't just had to do the best I could. Yeah. So it's still, I mean, it ended up working out. I finished, but it, I probably would have trained a little bit differently if I wasn't working with this. Did, did you gain any kind of like perspective on your own illness through doing something so so physically demanding and so physically challenging. Yeah. I, I had this, this big light bulb moment and it, it wasn't like, I kind of went into this race hoping like, okay, maybe I can figure out how to work through this depression and get, get in a better frame of mind. And, and like you said, having those, that time alone and no obligations, like that's, that's going to show me different parts of me and, and that's that's kind of what I was thinking, but that's not really how it played out. So, what what the transformative more moment was for me was I was with my friends Jeff and Carol, and we were I think seven days in. We were at mile like two hundred and seventy three, and we had just stopped at a motel to sleep for a couple hours during the heat of the day. And so we we got going again, 
And we got out to the road and we were going to stop at this little restaurant across the street to get some food. And I just could not walk. Like the blisters on my feet were, I mean, just indescribable. Oh. Like I, I've done a lot of races. Mm. I've had a lot of blisters, just nothing compared to what I was feeling at that time. And like, I don't know what to do. Like we've got 40 more miles. I, I don't, I don't want to quit. Like, I'm not going to stop, but I just don't know how I'm going to do this. And um, my friend Carol was like, I, I have a lot of experience fixing blisters. Do you want me to help you? And I, I desperately did not want to do that. Like that friends don't make friends pop their blisters. Like that's really <laughs> disgusting. My feet are gross. Right, and, right. and I thought that's I, what friends were for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was just so desperate. Like I, I, I was so desperate that I had to, I said, okay, yeah, sure. And I, I just, just in everyday life, I don't want to be a burden to anyone. I don't want to ask for help. I just want to do everything on my own. So as I took off my shoes and she's working on my feet, it was just this, this crazy experience of like such vulnerability and, and something that I had never really done before, like asked for help. And so it just felt so weird and so cool that someone like cared about me enough to do this. And I just, I'm not a very emotional person, but I just started like crying. I, and, and then it turned into like ugly cry, but I didn't want her to see cause I'm like a tough guy. And, mm. and, but she looked up and she saw me crying and, and then she's just such an empathetic, like wise person. And she, I could see tears started coming down her eyes too. And, and it was so connecting and, and, and it was like, wow. Okay. So this is what it feels like to be vulnerable. And, and that really was the takeaway. Like that one experience was like, that's, that's what I needed from the race was just to be willing to ask for help. And, and like, I don't have to do this all on my own. I can, mm. I can, I can let other people help me. Mm. What, what, that's um, such a, that's such a beautiful mm -hmm. and profound yeah. moment mm -hmm. in, in like such probably a small experience considering the course of like the 10 days, this one moment yeah. where the, you're getting some blisters popped on your foot, but like right. the profound value in that experience is so like just hearing you say that, I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. fucking, that's a super important lesson. Mm. What, um, I hope you don't mind me asking this. And if you do, then, then, then Go ahead. we don't need, we don't need to talk about it, but you know, you mentioned you uh, were part of the Mormon church and you left the Mormon church. Yeah. Um, how does, how does how does your experience, I'm assuming you grew up in the Mormon church. Yep. Um, how does that experience and then subsequently leaving, like how does that affect your, how you view your, how you view health, how you view your, your body? I mean, I, I'm assuming that that was a, a, a really big time in your life, making that decision to leave yeah. um, and probably affected everything, everything. Um, yeah. How, 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 how does that affect? How does that influence how you feel about your your health and your diagnosis and kind of how you how you go about taking care of yourself? Yeah, it it really was a total shift. Like everything, my whole life had been based on that. Like it, all our beliefs, our our friends, our family. It, it's kind of like just it, it was all we were all in. And so when we made the choice to leave my wife and I left the church at the same time, thankfully. And so um, it, it really was a shift to kind of like rebuild our whole lives. And, and it, 
it kind of came along at the same time as health, like with mm. the health stuff, I'm kind of rebuilding, like, this is, this is the new me. It's, it's different. Um, and, and then my life, like apart from the church, this is, I'm, I'm developing a new me, but then there's also weird things. I mean, like stuff, like you mentioned your body, like, I don't know how deep you want to get into this, but like one of the things that is with the Mormon church, they wear these sacred garments, these underwear that are part the stab, of the church. The stab proof underwear. The stab proof underwear. Yes. yes. And so to just be able to like go to the store and buy my own underwear was pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like not, not have this little thing. Like, yeah, I see my body Wait, differently. What's yeah, stab proof? Right. I, I know that. Do you not know about this? I know it's, that the, I know that there's special so, undergarments, but what, why stab proof? I don't know about that. Well, I, I look, I'm, I, Jer I'm, Jeremy's basing this off of Book of Mormon. No, I'm not. I'm not. It's, it's, well, it's more than, yes, but no, uh, but yes. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you, Corey, you, you can tell us. Corey, you'd know more than me, but it's, 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 uh, it's like a, it's like a onesie, right? It's like a you onesie. You would know that's, more than me. That's like imbued yeah. with, um, with like, uh, um, like sacred properties that that essentially like protect you from from harm and they yeah. and and I don't know where the where the stab proof thing came from but that that's uh, can you tell us about it I'm sorry I'm laughing now I'm laughing because I'm thinking of Book of Mormon which uh, was that the yeah. reason why you left the church because you watched the Book of Mormon I, I still have not seen it oh my god it's so good. I've heard it's awesome though it's so good yeah that's I on think, my I think Mormons list. even really love well, it well though yeah. I, I love how the church takes out there is an ad for the Church of Latter-day Saints <laughs> in, in the play bill yeah that's right yeah, yeah. 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 which is like which is like that's which which funny. I remember seeing that <laughs> when I went to see it and and I was mm. like man that is really cool. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, but uh, please, please correct me if I said anything uh, wrong. No, it, you're you're right. So the, the there are a couple things like the the underwear, the garments are supposed to remind you of your your covenants to be pure and keep the commandments and do everything, and also protect you. So like. I think the church is kind of stepping away. Like when I was a kid, they were like, yeah, these really protect you. Like a guy, I, I remember hearing a story, like a guy was in a fire and he got burned everywhere except where his garments were covering him. Mm. And like really, like they protect you. I think the church is kind of stepping away from that narrative now. Like, no, they're they're more just to remind you of your covenants. But when I was a kid, it was like, yeah, they're, they're stab proof. They're magical, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, I, I don't want, I, I don't want this to like turn into a turn, turn into us like just talking about your experience with with the Mormon Church, but like, but you, you know, you said you're a social worker. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I find, I find that everybody who I have ever known who is a part of the Mormon Church or has been a part of the Mormon Church, there's like a really profound sense of helping other people. Like, it's it, it seems to be a through, it seems to be a through line. Like, is your, does that play into your decision to be a, so, to, to your, your, your path of being a social worker? Um, I think that, I think that is part of it. And I mean, I, I, I don't want to like just bag on the church all the time. Like you're exactly right. There is that, that service oriented, like compassionate, like helping others. Um, it, it is like woven into everything with the church. So I appreciate that. And that was one of the things I was really scared to lose by leaving mm. the church. Like, am I going to be just totally on my own? And I find out like, no, there's other people that 
are not in the church and still love and support mm. you. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I would not say when I was choosing a career path, like that the church guided that, but I think, I think there is just that underlying, like help others. Um, right. That, and that I tried to kind of model myself after. I'm, I'm curious hearing you say that um, my, so my mom had uh, bladder cancer a few years ago and um, she's the type of person who would, uh, like uh, growing up, if I was like, oh man, like I, I haven't had Fruit Loops in a really long time and like kind of said it in passing, the next time she would go to the grocery store, she would remember that like days later and buy Fruit Loops and they would be in, in, in the cupboard. Like Mom, she was, she powers. was just like, like, yeah. God, lucky like, I wasn't like, even allowed to eat Frosted Flakes. So she was so thoughtful in that sense where she was like, like paying attention to what you said was really like considerate and then would, would think of you later and, and do that thing for you. And when she got bladder cancer, she was, she was totally like the opposite of that person. Like didn't want to open up to anybody. Didn't want to reach out for help. Didn't want to ask for help at all. Um, and was like, like had to do it on her own. Like didn't want to be vulnerable at all. And I think she's like that a lot in other ways in her life, even though she would be there for other people if they needed them, if they needed her. And so for you, I'm, I'm curious, you, you talked about this profound lesson that you learned on the road about being comfortable asking for help. Yet you've had this career path of being a social worker where you're constantly being there to right. support other people. Um, how do you sort of like, <laughs> uh, uh, kind of like explain those things to yourself where like you're the probably the first person to like be there for somebody who needs them but at the same time feel like it might be burdensome for you to ask somebody else for their help yeah I mean looking at looking back it's it really it is it's kind of silly like I I am a huge advocate of therapy like I'm a therapist. I've done therapy. I, I know depression. Like I, I refer people to therapy. It's great. And yet I did not want to be like, uh, maybe I need to see a therapist. Um, I don't know. Like what, what the hell that is? That's just ridiculous. Like on one hand, I I'm trying to fight the stigma against this. And then on the other hand, I'm totally stuck in the stigma. Yeah. So um, we all was, have it, that, you know, it was hard. I know, I know what you mean too, and and it's it's kind of um, it's funny that I'm asking this question because to to continue on with my mom's cancer for a second, um, in the first or second year of recording this podcast, that was when my mom had cancer, and we were doing this documentary uh, about the podcast at the time, and the director was like, "Hey, you're having all these conversations with people who live with illness, you know? Do you want to like?" is it okay if we film you talking to your mom about that? And I was like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to talk to her about that. It's too, like too close to home. It's like, it's easy to like give advice when you're like <laughs> removed from the situation. But then all of yeah. a sudden when you're in it, it's so, there's so many other like personal, you know, emotions and things that come up that make it so much harder to do. But it really took like some encouragement from him and, and from Taylor and Jeremy to like have this conversation with my mom and when I did, I was like, whoa, that advice that I was giving was good. And I should yeah. also listen to it myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, we don't, we don't, we're, we're, we are the worst at taking 
our own advice. Like, mm. you know, to know something, it's such a different thing to know something theoretically than to know something practically. Like, it, you know, yeah, it, like, I, I mean, it might just be as simple as that. Like, you can, when you, when you step outside of yourself, when you, when you zoom out from yourself and your, your ego, um, and you know, you can be objective about something, but then as soon as you descend back into you and your subjective experience, then all of a sudden you've got these layers of, of, you've got your layers of you, you know, layers of what you have become over the years because of, you know, because of your parents, because of your friends, because of your family, because of your religion, because of things that have happened to you, because of the ear injuries, because of your school, like all these things layer and compound. And then you've got to, you've, you've got to kind of contest with all of that when making these decisions of how to help yourself, which from the objective theoretical space make a whole lot of sense. But then, but then when it comes to doing that for you, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to go, I don't need that. That's not for mm-hmm. me. I'm stronger than that or whatever the narrative yeah. is. That- mm-hmm. But the, the other thing that, that I find really interesting is that I have, uh, I have uh, one friend in particular who suffers from um, pretty severe complex PTSD. And um, he, he really struggles re- like reaching out when he's going through a, um, a, a really tough time. And um, we've had this conversation a lot where, he says to me, like, I'm worried that I'm going to be a burden. And, yeah. and the thing that I think is so um, interesting about the, the idea that we're uh, a burden to our friends when we reach out for help is that if you ask somebody, so if I ask myself, like, is it burdensome for somebody to come to me when, they're, then when they emotionally need my support? I think of like I, I think of the fact where it actually makes me it doesn't burden me it, it makes me feel good like I what I mean what more but that's the what obje- more that's objective versus this that's that's right, kind of the same but, thing you but know? like if we ask like if I ask you guys like if somebody if I came to you and was emotionally in distress and really needed your help are you gonna leave that situation feeling bummed out that I came to you or are you gonna leave no. that situation feeling good that you were you were able to be there for me. But yes, you're right, objectively, but subjectively for you, you will feel that'll be challenging for you. Right, I know, but it's subjectively, it feels that way for everybody who's we asking for help. We can only say subjective or objective <laughs> once more. Yeah, but I subjectively, yeah. objectively Please, think that subjectively it feels... <laughs> but but my, my point is that is that 99% of the time, if you go to a friend for help, they're not going to feel bummed out that no. you came to them for help. They're gonna feel good. Like I actually feel good, really good. Even if my even if my friend is is really really struggling and having a rough time, um, I'm I feel bad that he's going through that. But I do feel in my heart I feel good that I was able to be there for him. Yeah, and that he felt. It's like the most powerful th- thing in a relationship is when you know that somebody trusts you enough that they can come to you when they need your help. Yeah. That's and the so, reality, but but it's hard for people to it's hard for yeah. people going through whatever to recognize. Well, listen, that. if anybody's going through a really tough time right now and they feel like they're going to be a burden reaching out for help, yeah. you're not going to be. Yeah. Yeah, you you really have to just like identify <laughs> that that voice that's saying that and and make a conscious choice to like tune that out, like not listen for a minute. Or, or like have the faith to realize, okay, I recognize I'm feeling like I'm going to be a burden. I'm, I, I just don't want to get into it. 
like recognize it and just I don't know, like set it aside for a minute and and recognize that maybe that is false. Yeah. Maybe I'm not seeing things clearly right now. Yeah, yeah, um, that's so a really important. I've, skill I've talked to have. about having a having a uh, like a code word with your friends, where when you're going through through something challenging, just texting them one word like watermelon, and then and like that, that word, and yeah. then. And then they know that, like, rather than having to write them and explain how you're feeling or call them and tell them that you need them, just have one word because then they can reach out to you and say, hey, what, what's going on? Like, what, how are you feeling right now? Like, what do you, what, how can I support you right now? Because it's so much easier to, like, just send one word than it is to be like, hey, I need some help right yeah. now. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, it's a good idea. You just mentioned <laughs> faith. Okay, it's a it's an exceptional idea. Oh, okay, well, don't get too ahead of yourself. <laughs> you, you just mentioned faith, and and not to like not to you know tie again the tie, again tie this back to the the Mormon Church, but how has after your your exodus from the Mormon Church has faith played a role in in you? Uh, in managing your your illness now that you now that you're not with the church, like do you, do you are do you have a, a do you do you subscribe to a different type of faith? Like, have you moved on to a you know another another what is, what's the word denomination? Uh, Here's where question. yeah, that, I think I, I see where you're going. I I, I kind of had this like very specific definition of spirituality when I was in the church, like spirituality looks like mm -hmm. going to church every Sunday for three hours, going to the temple, paying my tithing, uh, all of these things. That's, that's spirituality. And after leaving, I realized that spirituality actually has a lot of different meanings. And, and I think that like now my faith or spirituality looks like I just need to live each day mm. to the max. Like I, I, I want to take advantage of, each day I want to, I want to show kindness and, and, um, not live with regrets. So that's kind of like my guiding force now, mm -hmm. instead of how, how faith looked beforehand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is, um, so, you know, we, we kind of, we talked a lot about how, you know, CVID is affecting your, your, um, you know, your passion, your, running and your pursuits there what other what other ways what other ways does does this thing get in the way of you living your life like what are the other what are the other implications that this has on how you on how you you know you wake up in the morning and and you go and you walk through your day i think i still have uh, the biggest thing is just the fatigue but but there's also just this underlying sense of like, uh, I'm sick. Some, something is not working the way it needs to in my body. And even with these infusions, like they're, they're helping, they're boosting the immune system some, but it's still not normal. Like it, it's still not where it needs to be. And so I just have this underlying sense of something is not right. And then I, I'm more vulnerable to stuff. And so I think there's that underlying, I don't know, anxiousness about, and fear, really, fear of if I, if I do get COVID, am I, is that the end of me? Like, yeah. I, am I not going to have 
the immune system to fight it off. And so there's always this fear of, I mean, uh, am I like close to how much longer am I going to be around? There's Mm. that fear. If I get COVID, am I a goner? I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That do you, do you think about that a lot? I, I kind of go in waves. I, I notice that when I, when I watch the news or like looking on Reddit or whatever and, and seeing seeing stories about COVID, that's when that's when I think about it more. I have yeah. more of that anxiousness. So my wife is she's really good about noticing and saying, okay, no more, no more news for you for a while. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. just you gotta <laughs> detach. So I, I try to not let it run me, but there there is that thought in the back of my mind like uh, and I work in healthcare so I'm around sick people all the time and so I'm I'm surrounded by unhealthiness yeah and is your is your situation like with with your illness are you one of those folks where like the vaccine doesn't very well could do pretty much nothing for you like yeah 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 yeah, we 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 know somebody else who's in in the same boat, and we were just we were just reading actually a couple episodes ago, um, an entire thread that he put up on Twitter that was essentially saying like, this for a lot of people in Canada, it feels and looks like things are getting back to some sort of normalcy, things are opening up, but for him and his family, it's it's quite the opposite because his autoimmune disorder prevents him from. You know, he got the, he got both vaccines, both Pfizer, and then had a, an antibody test, and they came back and said zero percent of what we injected you with took hold, and wow. and so you are you know like you are just as vulnerable, just as, just as, vulnerable vulnerable as, as as having not been vaccinated, and and on top of that, if you got it, it's you know it's it's really fucking bad news for you. So, I mean that that would be. You know, it's at like as someone who lives with a, a chronic lung disease, there was definitely some fear there um, throughout the last year and a bit. But now that I'm vaccinated, I I can see how that fear has has dissipated quite a bit. You know, and like I can it, like I can feel how moving through the world is a little bit different for me now than it was whatever, four months ago, five months ago. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. Like I just, I'm, I'm interested to, to know like how, how crippling that must be for, for someone like yourself, especially in the U S where, you know, things are things, they're, they're really, it's been such a wave of, yeah. of things looking like it was turning a corner. And then, and now, especially now things looking like it's, you know, it's ramping up again. So that's, I can only imagine. Yeah. yeah, it's hard because like I've got I've got kids and mm-hmm. and I I don't want to live in a bubble. I want them to live their lives and go hang out with friends and do what do what kids do. And then I want also I want to live my life. I don't want to be I, yeah. I don't want to be stuck in a bubble. And then so it's it's finding that balance of doing the best I can to keep myself safe but also yeah. i don't want to go crazy just being a hermit and so there's been like there's been a just on that same thought right yeah um there's it's it's crazy how as the pandemic has evolved and everything has become so 
politically divided in terms of like rules and regulations and everything that goes along with that and what state, what some states are doing and provinces and whatever. And, and like how each side, each side, you know, if we are thinking about it politically, like thinks that the other like wants it to be bad for other, like how, you know, like you're saying, like exactly what you just said. I don't want to live. I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want to wear a mask. Like I'm not like. I'm not fucking throwing a party because I'm gotta wear a mask when I go to a store, <laughs> yeah. or or that my kids might not be able to do live their whole kid life, which is super important, or me my whole adult life, which is also super important. Like. It's not, no one wants to do any of this shit. Mm. And like, real, I think, I think because I am, I am definitely on more of the side of the big, let's just like, let's be more cautious than not. Like realizing that like anybody who is, anybody who is touting regulations and, or, or, or like, you know, wearing a mask or any of these things that are, that are more on the cautious side, like nobody wants that. No one's like, no one is stoked about that right. because it yeah. sucks. It sucks. I fucking hate it. Yeah. But you, but at the end of the day, I, I just hang my head and go, but we should. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's about risk management. Yeah. Because that's what it is. It's man, managing the risk. And if you if you think that there's zero risk at all, then you're a conspiracy theorist. But anyway, yeah. that's another conversation. <laughs> and, and, but, it just, and it just it just comes <laughs> to it just come that all that shit just kind of comes to the surface, especially when you speak with somebody like yourself who is who is a who is like immunocompromised and is you know you're not you're not the average you know you're not the average person that might have their vaccine that like will get covid and get a little sick and mm. you know take a few days off and you know go back to regular life like there's there's greater impacts and you know like stories make differences and so like mm. hearing individuals' stories instead of instead of the, you know, the right said this or the left said that or whatever the f- the fuck you want to call it. Yeah. Hearing individual stories with and not going, I have this political affiliation, just going, mm-hmm. this is my story, this is how I feel as an individual. <laughs> like that is what takes no, that is what makes the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I I wanted to sorry, did you uh do you I, want to I, anything? I, like? I was just gonna say, like, I'm not coming from right or left, I would really prefer to just stay alive. Like I, I just yeah. want to stay alive. All that's all. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Well, that actually kind of uh, leads into my uh, my last question too. And um, so, with this uh, living with CVID and sort of having to think, especially during COVID, think about you know your own mortality in terms of like if you get sick, could this be the end? Could you? Could this kill you? Um, have you, have you been contemplating, um, the idea of death and what it means to die more lately? And have you thought about what that, that means to you? Actually, I have. So last year when, when it was, when shit was really hitting the fan, like hospitals were full and it was insane and no one knew what was going on. I was, I, I wrote my own obituary, like just in case I get sick. I want to write it. Like, I want to make it funny. I want to make it cool. I don't want it to be sad and boring and dumb. Like, yeah. that's how scared I was at, at that point. I, I'm not 
at that point now, but I, I do, I do think about death and I, I just don't know with my immune system, like if I got it, can I fight it off or can't I? And so for me, it just boils down to, I don't know. And so right now, today, I'm going to live, I'm going to live, I'm going to live like I'm, I'm going to, I don't want regrets. I'm, if, if there's something I want to do, I'm going to do it. And, and yeah. In, in writing your own obituary, um, did you, did you feel like there was this like sort of acceptance of, of death or do you think that it it's this thing that is sort of st- still really scary? Um, some of both. Like I, I think that, um, it, it's not healthy to obsess and get anxious over things I can't control. So I try to detach from that and, and just like, I, all I can do is take care of myself and whatever happens after that, who knows? So, um, and yeah, I guess there is a little bit of comfort that comes in just knowing like, I'm going to, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. And then whatever happens, like mm-hmm. we're not getting out of it alive. It's going to, we're all, we're, gonna all, we're, gonna, <laughs> we're gonna get there someday, someday, one way or another. So speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, he's the one. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I find that really fascinating because I, I like for a really long time, was just totally petrified of the idea of dying. I just like, there's so many things I want to do. There's so many experiences that I want to have that I would feel like I was sort of robbed of those experiences if I didn't get a chance to do them. But then in, in recording this podcast over the past six years and talking to people who have like, who have quite literally been on death's doorstep. You're tired now. I'm I'm sick and tired of this fucking shit. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm fine. And, I'm exhausted. And yeah, that. I'm ready to die. Yeah. I feel like I've lived vicariously through like 400 people, and yeah. that's good enough. Yeah, fuck it, uh, Corey. I uh, I want to ask you a, a question that we ask most of our guests to to kind of wrap this up. Um, it's a two parter. So the first part is, what would you say is the biggest thing that CIVD or CVID has taken away from you? Um, I think it has taken away. Um, peace of mind to, to some extent, just um, not, it, it puts the unknown into my life. So I, I think it's just like before I was, I, this is, this isn't super healthy either, but I, I almost felt invincible. Like I can go, I can go run, I can do anything. And, and now I'm seeing actually that's not true. So, which is with, I'm, I think that's healthier, like mm. to realize your, your mortality and whatever. But um, I think just that it, it's taken away that, that peace of mind of just knowing that, that my body can do what I want it to do now. I'm not, not so sure. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? I think the biggest thing that it's given me is, gosh, it really has opened up my whole life. Just, just that, that sense of um, asking for help. And it led to so much like that led to talking to my wife about hard things. And then it, that led to um, talking to a therapist. And it, it just, I just feel so much 
healthier mentally now. Mm. I mean, it, it took going through some hard shit to get there, but I, I think that CVID was just something that, I don't know, forced me to, to face stuff that I didn't want to face. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey, I, I want to thank you for, for taking time today to sit down and, and share your story with us. Um, before we go, uh, just let our listeners know, where can they get a copy of Stronger Than the Dark? Um, you can find it on Amazon or Kindle or Audible. Jeffrey Bezos. (laughs) You did it. Uh, uh, Corey, thanks again, man. This has been really fun. It was really nice to meet you. Likewise. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Corey. All right, there we go, folks. That was our conversation with Corey. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Gosh, what what a fun, fun guest. Um, so glad that you were with us on this fun little journey and, uh, folks, listen, we're back at it, uh, every Wednesday, Friday, and then again next Monday. Um, and if you are tuning in from Apple podcasts, thank you so much. You can leave a rating and a review and that would mean the world to us. And if you're listening on Spotify, hit the follow button. Um, and if you have already done both of those things, just run out into the streets and, uh, grab the nearest stranger and uh, make sure you're wearing your mask and, uh, and grab them. Uh, if you have six feet long arms, grab them. If you don't, don't grab them. Just, uh, just pretend and yell at them and say, subscribe to sick boy podcast, uh, and, and make sure that they do that and follow them home. Make sure that you follow up, follow up with them, get their phone number, get their email, make sure that they do that. That would mean the world to us. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, if you want to hit us up, uh, whether that's leave us a letter, uh, you know, a comment, a concern that you had about the conversation today, you can hit us up letters at sickboypodcast.com. Or if you want to be a guest on the show, we would love if you submitted a future guest form. You can do that at sickboypodcast.com slash contact. And uh, what else do I got to say? Oh, yeah. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by me, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, Taylor McGilvery, producer uh, Lauren Sankey. And, of course, we're managed by Jeffrey Lonis. And a uh, big shout-out to Donovan the Meerkat Morgan for all the sound design. And a bigger shout-out to Take Part, the band that's no longer a band that gives us our theme music every week. Cool. Thanks, guys. Love you all and can't wait to see you on Wednesday. Bye. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.